Um, I'm Brita McVeigh, and I am very um, excited and feel very fortunate to be able to introduce Kate Shortland uh, to you all today. And we're so lucky that she's here with us. Um, Kate has been a writer and a director for 15 years, and in that time has made three feature films, has written more than five, I think, or at least written four, more than five television series or mini-series, and has directed multiple episodes of television. Her first film, Somersault, which I'm sure many of you know about, premiered at Institut Regard in Cannes. It also made history, which is in Kate's bio, which I'm sure that you've all read, winning 13 out of its 15 AFI awards. Her second film, Laura, which I watched this week, which I just am in love with, um, is a German language film which Kate co-wrote and directed. It was based on a British book. And when I looked on IMDb, it said it won 30 of its 34 Australian and international nominations. I mean, it's just including the Bronze Horse in Stockholm for Best Film, and I think it's the Bronze Award in Germany, is that right, for Best Film? Um, I've got a little quote. <laughs> I'm going to quote you. Oh, and also her third film, sorry. Berlin Syndrome, which is completed and is um, going to be released internationally next year. But we'll speak a little bit about that later. That can remain enigmatic at the moment. I'm going to quote Kate here as having said, and I saw you say it on a video, so I know you weren't misquoted. I'm interested in flaws and imperfection. Those kinds of things fascinate me. And I'm interested in sexuality and power. Power is often at the centre of what I work on. And I think the reason I use that is because it's, it's, just an, it's just a slew of curiosity. And having watched your work over this last week, I feel like I have been engaged with your acutely observant eye, which, where you explore with great empathy and sensory aliveness, both the dark and the light of the human animal. And I think we're very lucky that you make films. Thank so you. I'd like you to please join me in welcoming Kate. <laughs> Thank you. So I want to begin with beginnings, because mm -hmm. I know that you have, over um, the course of making your own work, we're mainly going to be talking about Kate's film work today, because she's of course doing a different session with Tony where they're talking about television. If we err into television, we may, but we're going to sort of focus on the film work. Uh, I want to start with beginnings because you um, have said that you have noticed now that you've got a tendency to use two, maybe three ways of generating ideas, mm -hmm. some of which uh, uh, are very tangible and some are more subconscious. And I wonder if you could talk about how you came to even realising that that's what you do. Mm -hmm. um, firstly, I just want to thank all of you for being here today and to thank Esther and Miriam and everyone in the organisation for having me. I love coming to New Zealand. Um, I think what, what's happened is I, I had kids and or we adopted children and I started writing more and I'd always seen myself not as a writer but as someone that wrote to service um, my direction. And then as soon as I had kids, I um, wanted to be inside a house and 
simplifying my life and I became a writer. And uh, <laughs> thank you. And when you and when you when you are starting to, I, I would say when you're starting to not just collaborate with people, but when you're actually starting to service other people's ideas, say when I did the slap, which was a um, Christos Solkos um, novel, and you're working for a production company and you're a hired writer, um, you I really have to look at how you work and what motivates you and how you make your best work. Because you start to, to um, you can't spend f uh, three months cleaning the fridge and vacuuming and, you know, trying not to do it. And I realised that there's a couple of things that um, I work with. I work with objects. So, um, say last night I was looking at the, they give you these fake, they give you these plastic slippers in the hotel and I thought, God, imagine if a man put those slippers on and then he wanted to have sex with his wife and um, she would say, I don't want to have sex with you in the slippers and it would all be about these slippers or a man was killed in those slippers and then there would be blood on the slippers. And so you can take the, you can take the objects out of the scenario but I still have the feeling mm. which is the slippers. Mm. So it's a kind of a sensory thing. And the other thing for me is landscape. And then the other thing for me is fact, when you read something in the paper mm. and you um, are really perplexed by it or somebody says something to you. So a script I've just written um, was inspired by my nephew when he was 12, uh, asking me if he could marry <coughs> the man in Bali that put our beach chairs out. <laughs> and so I thought that was interesting and so I wrote a film about that. But so it's always comes from different places, very yeah. long-winded. And so in terms of landscape, um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? You can be concrete and use a particular project if you like, like say the mountains in Somersault, did it, did you start with images that were, like how, where does it get into you? Does it were you like, I just want to tell a story that comes from that place? I think, I think all of us that make stuff, or that even if we like watching stuff and looking at human beings and thinking about what life is, you're just constantly plugging up holes. Like you're constantly plugging up holes of grief, of what happened when you were a kid, of um, <coughs> why did that happen to me? Why did I do that? Why did I fucking say that? And when I was a kid, we had, I grew up in a very um, fragmented, chaotic environment with a lot of drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And out the back of our um, kitchen window, like this little suburban red brick house, there was the Brindabella mountain range. Mm -hmm. And my mom would say to me, look at those mountains, look at the snow on the mountains, or look at, you know, in autumn, look at that, look at that. And so there was this connection with the beauty of that place mm -hmm. and trying to escape the reality of what I'm in. And so I think when you see these landscapes, it's, it's what it evokes in all of us. It's not just, um, it's not just a place, it's a feeling that it, 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 the impact it has on your body. Well then that immediate, um, we're gonna dance around through projects, I can tell, but that immediately what makes me wanna ask about um, Laura because it's 
it's Germany. It's mm -hmm. not where you're from. It's got an incredibly strong sense of place. Mm -hmm. Was lands? How did landscape play a part in coming to that project? Um, I studied fascism when I was at university. I studied slavery, so I've always had this kind of ideas about power. What? Um, how? How as a white Australian, I am a coliniser. Who I am, um, who I perpetrate crimes against, and so it was kind of it was kind of a perfect fit, uh, film for me because it allowed me to look at something like a girl coming of age in terms of a very political um, uh, fascist environment and to ha and to try and work out what that meant. And the landscape, I think. Um, we spent, we did the first draft of the script. And in Australia? Was, uh, yeah, in Australia and, and the UK. And then I did a three week road trip um, from the Black Forest up the Czech border, up the Polish border mm. to the mud in the North Sea. And so that completely changed the film again once you've been in those places. And that's what I do on every, every project. I write the film and then I go and immerse myself in that landscape. And then go back and rewrite. And, and then go back and rewrite felt. it. Yeah, at, yeah. Once I've actually found what you really do feel in those places. Yeah, right. Because that film is um, so, uh, it goes to the heart of what I said in my introduction. It really it actively deals with shadow and light in terms of human behaviour. And um, I wonder if, and also looking at the story from the perpetrator's perspective, which I've heard you say before, and I wonder if you might talk a little about character in that regard and, and the flaws and what it was yeah. to, yeah. I'm, I'm just struggling with that myself. Um, like, how do we make exciting work? How do we get inside people that perpetrate things that we tell ourselves we would never do, but we probably would. Um, and how do we be kind of honest about that? And for me, when I was making that film, I had, because so, I'm Jewish, my partner's family are um, Holocaust survivors. So I had such, I had such animosity towards what the Germans had done. Should we play a clip? Yeah, yeah. And that <laughs> film made me completely change my idea and it made me see myself as very much like the Germans in what I have perpetrated or what I'm a part of. Yeah. So it, it was a really beautiful kind of spiritual opening for me making that film. Yeah. Well, should we, do, should we, use, should we use this opportunity to play a clip so we can then yeah, talk yeah. to it in this exact way? Should we do the clip with, from the beginning of the film? The first one, I think it's the first clip from Laura. Du siehst ganz anders aus. Nicht sehr anders. Auf der Straße hätte ich dich gar nicht erkannt. Ich hätte dich erkannt, Fatih. Das ist beruhigend. Lore, da geht Zwillinge auf. Wir müssen packen. Fatih, kommst du mit? Willst du ihr nicht antworten? Nur sechs Teller und Tassen. Ich nehme das Tafelsilber. 
alles scheiße. Lieschen, was machst du denn da? Hilf deiner Schwester. Habe ich dir gesagt, du sollst die Gläser einpacken? Du musst auf mich hören. got a quote that I, I'm going to quote you again. I'm going to quote you. Come on. Where you said, no one is unlikable if they challenge and fascinate us. Is that something that um, was quite a journey with this particular project in terms of um, being, I guess, challenged to climb inside some of these characters? Um, yeah, like I, I started off this process completely um, polarising the Germans and what, what changed for me was I, I went to the university and I, I asked um, if I could get people that had been involved in National Socialism and they were willing to come and speak open, openly to me about it. And I got all these people in the room, um, there was about 15 um, people and most of them were over, they would have had to have been over 80 I would think. And some are from West and some are from East. And many of them had told stories that they hadn't told their own families, but they told them in this room. Were they all Hitler Youth? A lot of them were Hitler Youth, yeah. and some of them, their fathers had been um, SS. Like, this is a true story about a girl whose father was SS. And I think one woman told a story where she said um, the old lady upstairs was taken, and this was an old lady that had, this was a young German girl and the Jewish lady upstairs was taken and this is a woman that had always been really friendly to her but she watched her being dragged out and she thought well they must be taking her for a reason because she's a Jew and Jews are really bad and the men were very brutal to this old lady and this like eight-year-old girl went into the courtyard after um, the old lady had been taken and she vomited. And for me, it kind of made real sense and it made me look at it in a different way, is that we try and have these beliefs, but the beliefs somehow on, on a very innate level, our, the animal inside us know that it's not right. Mm. And so I've started to look at the characters' fears and what they were frightened of instead of what they were perpetrating. Mm. And that was really helpful. Yeah, and this, okay, are we going to... So this is right from the very beginning of the story when they are having to, the father has just come, come home. Yeah, and the, it's a true story based on a man that was in the SS and he did um, medical experiments and um, uh, it's the story of his children. Can they dim the lights? Du siehst ganz anders aus. Nicht sehr anders. Auf der Straße hätte ich dich gar nicht erkannt. Ich hätte dich erkannt, Fatih. Doesn't matter. 
we could show a different <laughs> clip. Yeah. <laughs> we could show um, Kate. We could show either. We could do the two of them down by the riverbank, or we could do waking up at grandma's house down by the riverbank. Yeah, yeah. Really unlikable. Let's do um, the down by the riverbank. Yep. Do you want to set this clip up? Um, no, maybe after. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Meine Großmutter wohnt auf der anderen Seite. Und deine Eltern? Sie hat ein Haus mit Windmühlen an der Wand und einen großen Garten davor mit bunten Blumen. Kennen Sie das Haus? Nee. Komisch hier zu heute. Ich muss über den Fluss. Komm mal her. Lass dich mal ansehen. Dann näher, ich passe dich nicht. Soll ich Ihnen was singen? Ja? Na <lacht> Brüderchen, komm, tanz mit mir. Beide Hände reich ich dir. Einmal hin, einmal her. Rundherum, das ist nicht schwer. Ja, ja, ja. Mit den Händen, klapp, klapp, klapp. Mit den Füßen, rapp, rapp, rapp. Einmal hin, einmal her. Rundherum, das ist nicht schwer. Das Wasser drin. Eine kaputte Uhr, ein kleines Reh für meine Mühe. Das ist alles, was ich habe. Weißt du, wie viel Arbeit ich noch vor mir habe? Und eine nagelnde Frau zu Hause. Wenn ich hier nicht fertig werde, bekomme ich kein Abendessen.
um, I was very interested in the tools that she had available to her as a young girl, but I was even more interested in the fact she knew um, she's the heroine of my film and she knew that the guy she was travelling with picked up the rock and that he was, he was going to hit the man on the head and she had the power to stop him and she didn't. And in a way that's what the whole film's about, us having the power to stop something and we don't do it. Mm. And so in, in that kind of clip, it's the most literal moment in the film where she doesn't actually perpetrate the action but she stands by and she watches it happen, which is what happened in Germany, is people stood by and watched it happen. Mm. And so I was exploring those kind of ideas in that scene. Was the scene in the original book? No. Yeah, right. So you worked with a script editor on this project? Yeah, I, I, I worked with a script editor who's very, very good in Berlin called Franz um, Rudenkirscher. And I've worked with him now on two projects. And what he does is he goes from the very first line of the, of the script and you go through and he just constantly says to you, but why would she do that? Why would she do that? What is he doing there? Or he says, that is bullshit. <laughs> you know, yeah. why would that person do that? And he um, is a Freudian, um, did Freudian um, oh, yeah. analysis. So everything has to come back to if it's not what the character would emotionally and physically want to do, then mm. why are they fucking doing it? Mm. And that's my fight within myself as a writer, because mm. sometimes you just want them to fucking do it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and do you feel like it's actually working with him has shifted your own rigour, technically? Um, or do you need him? Uh, I think what always happens with me is I have situations and I am exploring a situation, but I think what we always have to have and what I'm starting to realise more as a writer is that you can have a situation, but it has to always ask questions of the viewer. And you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. Um, if it's not asking a question, if the viewer is not asking a question, I'm losing them. And I'm not working hard enough as, a, as an artist or as a writer or as a filmmaker. So at the end of the scene, I would hope that you would have more questions than you would have answers. And so that scene would leave you with what, what would be your ah. loose intention there, do you reckon? Why did she do that? Why didn't she stop him? Mm. Why did she become a part of it? What are the, the connections of, with yeah. sex and death, mm. if I'm really honest that they were almost both, there is a big connection in that film with sex and death. Mm. And in that scene, I was really exploring that as well. Mm. Do, you, um, do you feel like the, by the time you got to the end of that project, your writing had been shifted by working on a project that wasn't in your own language? by having to direct in a different language? I know that takes us into another discipline, um, but... I'm starting, I'm starting to... I used to be really precious about dialogue, and I'm starting to be a lot less precious about it. Mm, yeah. So I try to be really specific, and I try to be really um, uh, analytical about what it means, but sometimes the way it's said, I don't have to have that ultimate control. Mm. And I think that's what working in another language has given me. 
the idea of giving over control. I also work with choreographers, so um, the choreographer will come on set and, and through that work with the choreographer, scenes often really change. Which leads us beautifully <laughs> into um, your approach to building a scene. Oh yeah. Yeah, we've got a clip which we'll, we'll take a little minute to set up, but the next clip we'll play will be from Somersault. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about this particular experience that using this scene mm. of, of the different layers of how you come to write in different ways, really? So this is a scene um, which we're all really nervous about because it's a young girl who is very out of it on drugs and alcohol and she has two young men that are potentially going to rape her and there's nudity in the scene. So as a director, I was really worried about the scene, about making it really truthful and making it really um, emotional and tell the story. On the other level, I was also really worried about the actors, mm. especially this actor, the, the young woman. So what I did was I got a choreographer in and that sort of has changed the whole way that I work now. I always have a choreographer in with me. Um, At the rehearsal? Yeah, for say yeah. two days. And what it does is it takes the morality out of a scene. It totally releases who is good, who is bad. And so there's no more worry anymore. There's no more, oh, this guy's going to do this and he's really scary and da, da 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 What we're looking at is why is he moving across the room? And unless that actor knows why he's moving across the room, she'll stop him and she'll say, what the hell are you doing? Or we're not making a porno you know, which is really good. Mm. What are you actually doing? Mm. And so it became um, a really joyous process. Mm. And it became a process where we had so much laughter. What we also did was we improed all the dialogue. So we had the bare bones of the scene. First of all, we improed all the dialogue and we changed all the dialogue and that took like two days. And then we got the choreographer in. So the scene you're, you're seeing, um, was the process of like five people working on it. So just to do the layers, you wrote it, then you gave it to the actors to improvise. To improvise, we rewrote Fully clothed it. in the rehearsal room. Fully clothed in um, the casting process. And we did improvisations around right. it. Then you brought a choreographer in and you really broke down the movements. And yeah, the and then we, we rewrote some of it again. And so you had new pages. Yep. And then you shot it, but everyone had really worked the moves. Yeah, yeah, yeah and everyone knew what they were doing and no one was scared, everyone was just couldn't wait to get in there like they were going in a boxing ring. Oh my God, have fun. <laughs> okay, awesome. Should we run that clip from Somersault? Thank you. Can you turn it up? So do you often bring strange men back here, Heidi? Only rich fucked up ones with dope. That's fucking great then. We know where you belong. Cheers. To us. A stupid thing to say. You know, you two make such a lovely couple. You know, I really want to smack you in the head. Mm. Sorry. Madame. Well, isn't this nice? <laughs> Very nice. Have you got a television? No. 
you have a DVD player? Do you have an Xbox? Dude, she hasn't got a TV. Why would she have an Xbox? Do you have Weekend at Bernie's too? She's off. You all right? <laughs> oh man, she's fucked up. You're all right, aren't you, Hussie? Yeah. Oh fuck it, man. Man, this is this is bullshit, man. She's, she's fucking off her tree. Let's just go back to the pub, man. Oh, John. <laughs> what are you doing? What do you think I'm Johnny. doing, man? Oh, Johnny. <laughs> Let's take a bath. I don't think we're all gonna fit in the bath. I'll just run this bath. No, no, come on, relax, 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 relax. Relax. Don't open the door. No, no, no. That's not your boyfriend, is it? I don't have a boyfriend. <laughs> Hi. I think you better leave. Yeah. That's what we're endeavouring to do, man. Sorry, man. We, we, we didn't know. <laughs> what didn't you know? We just want to leave, all right, man. Or oh, maybe we could stay here and all have a really big party. John, shut the fuck up. What did you say? Oh, what I did was... John, John, shut the fuck perhaps up. Perhaps we should all stay here and have a big party. John, shut the fuck up. John, John. Are you a macho man? <laughs> so, just for instance, you saw the actor at the end. Um, he grabbed the other actor's face and just was pushing him around. So the choreographer came in and, and we, we did for just 10 minutes where we were just pushing each other's faces and getting each other to move. So that when you're using those actions, um, there was a freedom in it and there was fun in it. And uh, if we had have played it where she was, it was dire, 
and it was all just going to shit, the seam would be um, operating on, on all of the same level. And I always think that there always has to be oil and water. There always has to be um, a friction in the seam, a friction and a, and a shifts in rhythm because there's always shifts in rhythm and friction and things change organically from one second to the next second. Do you find that you write scenes now and you're like, oh, I can't wait to get a choreographer in for that one? Where you like, I want to open that one up more? Or does it... No, I, I, I constantly just think how shit everything is I do. And, um, <laughs> and I, I think what I'm fighting with at the moment is how do I make something truthful and don't try and make it dramatic? Like, don't try and do this. Don't try and edge towards fucking drama for the sake of drama and just actually let the characters go where they want to go. And I've created such rich characters and I kind of have an idea what the end of the story is and I'm going to let it be organic. And that's my struggle. I'm just going to vomit that out at you all. <laughs> yeah. Does that mean that you're exploring not having an ending when you start? Oh, no, I know. I now um, pretty much would have an ending, um, but I'm just trying not to force the characters around like chess pieces to create drama. And, as, and it's still a really hard process for me. It's still, I still struggle with that. Are you, um, are you a lover of structure? Or are you like, when do you, like, given that you're really respectful of your process with character and mm. you go in deep on that level and you let it lead, when and how do you bring structure um, into it? I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a, um, if you know the Sarah Kane model where you kind of have everything working really well and then you she called it um, putting a bomb under it so um, I was just looking at um, I can never say his last name Stephen Stephen Zalen Zalen who did the night of and wrote Schindler's List and all these other beautiful pieces of work mm. and um, he he was just talking about cutting chunks of story out cutting chunks of story out and then pushing the other bits back together and seeing what, what butts up against the other pieces of story. Mm. So cutting the first 15 minutes of your screenplay and so you instantly start with a question mm. rather than um, it being up. set up. Mm. And that's the kind of challenges I'm trying to throw at myself. Mm. To like unsettle yourself. Yeah. And see what Give aliveness. more alive, yeah. Yeah, right. And, and just to go back to that clip, did you rewrite it again at all in the edit? Or was that pretty much once you went through the... No, pretty much when we were in the edit, and even the cinematographer, um, who was originally a documentary cinematographer, he, he shot the whole thing in one take. And then, so the, the take was 10 minutes long. Mm. And then um, we, went in, we went in and did coverage, like just, you know, singles, basically. But the, the single take, we could have played it in that. That's what's a joy when you have something that actually works and everyone's just sort of dancing together. Um, you, again, to use your words back at you, sorry. Um, you wrote something about um, how you, are, are, and this might feel like an older version of you, so tell me if it is, that you were really interested in the, the writing the part that gets under people's skin, mm -hmm. the part that really stays with them. And you, 
Um, your work is so unapologetically sensory mm -hmm. um, and really engages with a kind of... Uh, in fact, I've got a clip. Can we play a clip? That's just, it's a really short one. It's the one that's marked crabs. And just before, before you play it, I'd well, the thing I'd love you to think about while you... It's like only one minute is how you would have scripted this small... What seems like a small... Could be a small moment when they arrive at the beach after having got, gone through the whole process in the forest. So the children journey from the Black Forest, which was a, it's a true story. So they journeyed from the Black Forest and they walked for three months um, to the to the mud flats at the top of journey of Germany to find their grandmother. And I just I was thinking about the whole idea of national socialism and uh, utopias mm. and on a more sort of emotional level of Germany being her mother and what her mother had done to her because um, she so believed in it and she so loved it. And that mud is, you can walk for miles and miles and miles across that beautiful mud and the island sits in the middle of it. So it was just like this, um, this joining of her body to, to the earth and somehow taking the politics out of it. Somehow saying, I can still love this place. This place is still part of me. And all of that, all of the things that human beings do to each other is superfluous. Because at this moment, I am joined to this place. And so there's such richness and layers in your thinking that gets you to that moment. And then it's really honoured visually for us when we watch it, how do you actually write that much space on the page? Do I you don't. remember? What I do just do? say, uh, 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 Laura um, uh, stares across the water. Um, I don't know what I wrote, but yeah. Laura stares across the water um, to her grandmother's island. You know, under she, you know, her toes grip the muddy earth. Yeah, right. And then we shoot it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and it stretches out to that yeah. remarkable kind of series of sensory things, right? Mm. But you know that's what mm. you, how much space you're putting in the pace when you just, but you're economic with it on the page. Very. Yeah, right. But again, that's earth as object too, isn't it? When you say you work with objects, mm. isn't it? And the landscape being crucial. Mm. So did you come to that when you did the recce? 
Um, yeah, that wasn't in the book. Yeah, right. um, so it's an adaptation of a mm. book, and I just wanted to. I just wanted to find the purest place in Germany and um, in the National Socialist ideology. That part of Germany was the purest place, the very north, the very fairest, um, no Jews, and um, it was really an amazing place to shoot up there. Right. So. There's another object that travels through that film, though. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about working yeah, with yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. So at the beginning of the film, the mother packs all her belongings and she packs this little deer mm. and then the girl takes it. And so this deer travels, it travels the journey of the film. Mm. And it, um, so we sort of used it to tell the story. And we actually saw it in that clip by the river. Yeah, we yeah. did, yeah. Oh, we're going to go straight to the clip. The, um, it's, Laura, it's Laura Wakes. So this is right towards the end of the film. Mm -hmm. Do you want to set it up any more than that? Um, we worked with a beautiful composer, Max Richter, Just and this is all his um, music. she um, just walks straight into the bedroom and she smashes every one of those objects. And it's really satisfying. Yeah, really, <laughs> really satisfying. She just puts them under her boots and goes <coughs> I know, and I watched it again, and like, it goes mm. up to her face and then back down. It's good, because yeah. it kind of cuts the whole romance and yeah. what, what does she really have? So am I right or wrong in suspecting that that was you bringing that into the script that wasn't in the book? Um, yeah, it was me working with the script editor um, in Berlin and talking about... I watched The Revenant actually on the plane coming over, which is criminal because I watched it on the screen like that. 
And, um, but I saw the same, I mean, I'm not comparing myself to that film, but they used objects. So they used a water bottle, a metal water bottle. A man scrapes a shell into this water bottle and it's passed from character to character. And then a woman is being raped and the water bottle's dropped on the ground mm -hmm. and sort of left in the mud. So this water bottle takes, it, the water bottle has its own story. Yeah, right. And, and it's kind of, I kind of love that idea. Is that something that you found in that film, or did you use? Do you, was there an object, or there was? Was it so pronounced? It was. In it was. It was that object. Oh, in that. In yeah. Somersault, though. In Somersault, she was just such a touchy-feely creature. Oh. Um, yeah, I think what what I'm working on new new things, and what I'm using is um, the eye, what we see, rather than what we touch, because I have like an addiction to touching. Like things, not people. <laughs> but I, I do. <laughs> but um, I do have that thing of um, I don't know. I just love the sensory, and I'm trying to get more into a let making myself hold back a bit. Why? Because <sighs> maybe it's a bit lazy. Maybe it's a bit lazy. Maybe um, I have to force myself to do new things. And is that something that you've brought into Berlin Syndrome or is that after a post-Berlin Syndrome? Um, well, Berlin Syndrome is from a, from a book. Um, Berlin Syndrome is very different, but the series I'm working on at the moment, I'm working on a 10-part TV series um, set in the 1830s. And, um, yeah, it's much more about what we see, about the, the eye, because it deals with voyeurism. So, so that relates to the central idea of it, though, too. Voyeurism is one of the central ideas of the series. Yeah, right. So you can't touch, but you can look. As much as you want to. Yeah, in so in a, in a fun way for me, as the, one of the makers of it, it um, poses the same stresses and strains on me, because I'm not allowed to touch either, as the characters. So there's this idea of, um, in the series of voyeurism, yeah. Yeah, right. So do you, just to go back to working with objects, did you have an object that you took through the centre of Berlin Syndrome? I did, actually. I had um, uh, the girl in Berlin Syndrome. I have these charms around my neck, and once I met a waitress and her mother had given her a charm, and she told me the story of the charm, and we gave that to the girl in Berlin Syndrome. And that travels a journey. And that travels a journey, yeah. Yeah, right. Mm. Do you um, do you want to talk a little bit, just because, and, and talk as, as comfortable as you are, given the film hasn't been released, about the process of that film? Because you didn't write that film, but you're still got a writer's muscle. Like, so how did you engage with the script, and at what point? And I, I wrote the last couple of drafts of the, of the script. Mm. Um, but it's also a German language film, so it's half German and half English, because it's an Australian girl who's trapped um, in a German apartment by an English, a German English teacher in Berlin. So it's, it's half in German and half in English. Um, it was an interesting process for me, because it's, it's far more genre than anything I've done before. Mm. Um, and it was really low budget, so mm. it was, um, it was a big challenge, but I kind of learnt what I like and what I didn't like, like you do in every project. I'm not going to tell you. 
Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it was a... I worked with Teresa Palmer on it, and um, I, she was a great joy to work with. Who is Teresa Palmer? She's an Australian actress, and she has done a lot of like big action movies and oh, stuff. Oh, right, okay. And so she, she wanted to do something much more raw, and she came and did this. And so it was really, we had a great fun together. And was it a situation where it was like you just had freedom to do two rewrites at the end yourself, or were you working with the writer? Um, I was working with the writer and then I did a pass, a couple of passes myself. And that was your way of climbing inside the Um I think I writing? got inside the girl. Yeah, yeah, right. A bit more. Yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, my last question for you, and then we'll throw it open to all of you fellas, um, is I, I heard you mention in something, um, something about how you're fascinated by the shadow narrative that exists in things. Is that mm -hmm. still something that you work actively with and you could explain a little bit about, or have you moved on from that now? Um, I think there's always room in every story we tell for the audience, and um, I'm interested in trying to leave that space without using ambiguity. So, sort of, I suppose it's, it also comes back to asking questions of the audience. So that's the practical application of it, is that what is it that the audience, I'll put words in your mouth and tell me if I'm wrong, what is it the audience is actively asking all the time? Is it thinking about it like that? I want the audience to be asking questions of what is going to happen, of course, yeah. but when they finish the film, asking questions of themselves, if possible. And do you feel that you've got, you've discovered particular ways that help you never use that muscle no never i think it's i work with a beautiful producer jan chapman who mm. i think she works with worked with jane campion a lot and yeah. she's in her 60s and she says um if she had the magic if she had the the key to what makes a good film like she made the piano and she's made other you know she's got oscars and she says um you never know you hope and you feel good about something but you never ever know and I think that's kind of it's addictive we all we all want to make something good we all want to do something that has truth and meaning in it and affects other people Thank you. okay Lovely. Um, let's open it up to you guys um, I don't know if there's a microphone around but if not just speak loudly great yes hi, um, hi. Um, I think um, we're all complicit in something, but I think, of course, I think definitely, I think there was degrees. I don't think, I think there were people that weren't complicit at all, and then I would say um, it's like all human behaviour, there's uh, levels to it, yeah. I think what for me she's doing is she's saying, I'm not complicit, I'm watching, I'm not complicit, he's doing it. He's doing it. He's doing it. 
And I think that's where we often place ourselves. Oh, she's totally complicit, but she's, she's not saying that to herself. And he's going, she wants me to, she wants me, me to, too, she, she wants, wants me, me to. to. So they're both transferring yeah. responsibility. Yeah, 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 great. Yes. Uh, seeing Laura again reminds me of a film I saw recently about the diagnosed sexual war, a Danish film called Land of Mind. It's about a young German boy who sort of tries to empty his mind from Danish coast. And essentially, like an echo of somewhere in that film, as the white Germans are adapting to the Danish army of bullets. I recommend it. Great, thank you. Yes. Yeah. How do I give it to another director? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's well because I work in TV all the time now. Um, I feel really comfortable handing my work over. So what we often do is we just sit and have a chat about it. And sometimes, um, like when I did the slap, I would say the slap because it was the first thing I kind of wrote. Um, they asked me to write, and I, um, I didn't even talk to Robert Connolly, who directed my stuff. But I really loved what he did with it. Um, there's, there's something liberating. Uh, I think I think if you're happy with the outcome, I just did something called um, Deadline Gallipoli, and it, it was completely different to what I ha had envisaged. So that was a bit of a shock. Yeah, yeah. Right. But it's okay. I learn a lot doing it. Max, in the back. When you've written something and you're looking at it and you recognise that it isn't working on the page, what, what do you do next? Um, I go and pack the dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> and I am addicted to the Google thesaurus. <laughs> So I start to change words, but how I work, <laughs> how I work is I work very collaboratively. I always work in dialogue with another person, and I use my producers constantly. So um, I'll write something, and then I'll they'll say what's happening, what's happening, and if if I say. Nothing, I have to go away this week or my mum's been sick or whatever. They know, oh, she's not doing anything. You know, she, and, and I now honour that process. I now honour that process of not being able to work because I know it's part of the work. But it's hideous for me and it's hideous for all the people around me that I really annoy because um, I clean. But, um, yeah, but I, I use the producers. I use the producers and I will sit with them all day and talk it out or I use my partner um, who's a director, mm. but um, he's often really, really busy, so he doesn't want to talk about my shit. <laughs> so, but I, I always talk to other people because, uh, or other writers, other writers. I will email other writers who know me, go, what the fuck? Yeah, I, I can't work it out by myself. But sometimes you do, just by seeing something, like by seeing another film or listening to music, um, I did a workshop with this amazing writer from the UK and he said he spends like three weeks before he um, starts writing and he'll listen to like every Donna Summer um, <laughs> CD 
and he'll go to food courts or he'll um, get on a train and go down to Brighton and book into like a homeless shelter and then he'll write his play, you know. And it's sort of honouring, um, it's honouring those, those, th those moments where you're struggling and trying to see it as part of the work. And almost ritualising it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's hard because you feel like really self-indulgent and ridiculous. Yeah. Yes, right in the back up there. Yeah. Yes, yes. So just to come off exactly like if you're adapting a book or something, to get what you what you feel, what you what's inside you, I'd say do two drafts. Um, or if it's an original I do, but this is just me, everyone's so different. I'd do like two drafts or three drafts and then I would go to the place. Like in the new film I've, I've just done, um, uh, we went and we did these um, recce's of all these empty apartment buildings in Dresden, which is an old GDR city. And in these apartment buildings, the thing that struck me was everybody had an electric bike. You know, there was all these, it was like dinosaurs, electric bikes, push-up machines, um, uh, vibrating massage chairs. And so those things became a part of the film. Yeah, yeah, but I think it makes it, I think it, I think reality often makes it fresh. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yes. I use diaries, um, like say I'm working at the moment on a drama set in the 1830s. So I will, I will go back and I'll look at dramas, I mean uh, diaries and letters and I will try and find the voice or the rhythm of um, how those people speak. So at the moment, because I've got a big Irish um, indigenous family in the, in the drama, I'm looking at murder ballads. So just the rhythm of murder ballads, and, and often it's a sing-song, so I say, um, you know, why did she have the blood on the knife? And then you answer me. And so I'm finding all these beautiful ways of the children speaking mm. that are so beautiful and fresh, and they're from like um, the 1500s in Ireland. And then to the first part of the question, which was, relating to the fear, investigating the fear in the characters um, and getting an empathy with that. Do you do that quite deliberately now it's been introduced to you by? I think vulnerability is really important. I think, we, I think um, to actually allow yourself to be really vulnerable as a, as a maker is really important. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, I think you need different rhythms. I think you need different rhythms in your characters and you need to explore all the different aspects of, of character. So you can't like have, like if I was doing it about, everyone would be like neurotic and 48 and you know, you can't do that. So you do, I, I, um, I base it 
I base it on what I see around me and what I what I read and just um, you just try and make it fresh. You just try and make it fresh all the time, but it's hard sometimes. It's hard to uh, it's hard to get out of archetypes. Oh, I've got a quote about that. <laughs> uh, God, I had this quote. I don't know if it's so much about archetypes, but it's definitely about your blind spots. You'll remember saying this, I think. Again, live action. At the moment, it's quite it's a while ago. At the moment, when I'm writing in the writers' room at Matchbox, we have one female character in a series that I'm working on, and we call her the vagina. In the writers' room, and that is for us to push through the cliches like. If she's one female character in this scene, how do we make her more than a vagina? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what we constantly have to ask ourselves. How do we get rigour and layers? We want to see their flaws, and that's not about directing. It's about the development process and great writers and great producers and great directors coming together to workshop those scripts until the female roles matter. Yeah. And I would say the same thing with, um, say, Indigenous Australian roles at the moment. Mm because I live in such a racist country, as we all know. So, um, <laughs> it's funny, but it's not funny. Um, so, um, I've, just, I've just done a writer's room with, um, with five writers, or six writers, actually. And one of the women that came in, who is this amazing academic, and she just came in for the day, her name is uh, Larissa Berent, and she was the um, United Nations first, she sat on the United Nations for First Nations peoples. And she just, she just was looking at all our work and she'd looked all through it. And we were talking about how we were gonna do this show. And she just said, why don't you just make that big family? Why don't you just make them black? And I was like, but they're all really bad. And they're all murderous. Mm. And this guy does this. And she goes, great. Mm. And so I could see my blind spot was um, to do sort of a noble savage thing and then suddenly I had this big family who had faults, who had affairs, who had this, who had this. And now we've just got this amazing Irish Indigenous family in our show. And it's just jumping over the, the, the things that we have in us. Like, it's not just a woman with tits and a vagina in a nurse's outfit. Like, how, <laughs> how do you get around that? How do you get around the noble savage idea? How do you... You just, you know, you gotta, you gotta do some the hard yards. Mm. I think it has so, you know, there can be a problem when you are indigenous. And yeah. Then, um, somebody, it's almost like a permission is given. Yeah. And then it gets taken to like a whole other ugly level. Yeah. Well, it's a really, it's been a real struggle and a really great thing for me on this project because it's set in the 1830s, so it's the, the Badlands. And um, what we've done is we've got all these amazing young Indigenous playwrights and um, just people, young Indigenous people that are starting out, and they're our writers. So they're telling their own stories. So um, it's it might be, end up being a really terrible show, but I'm really excited about it and I'm really excited about the process. And it's, it's, about, it's about women. It's about five women on the frontier. So I'm, ex I'm, ex I'm excited about making a show about five women who are more than vaginas, <laughs> who, um, who, who 
are really, really flawed. Mm. Are really flawed and kind of funny and sexual and deviant and are sometimes real bitches. Mm. And I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. Okay, we've got time for a few more questions. Yes. Yes. I'm precious, but I'm not. I've just done two foreign language films, um, and so I, I work with interpreters all the time. So what I'm trying to find is the truth of the scene or the the sentence, rather than hanging on to the pretty phrasing. Yes. Yeah. Um, like, how much of like creative control did you put in, or did you allow for the intercourse to like, phrase that were being used, like, like were you paying attention? Um, what I do is when I'm a, when I'm directing, it's not about blocking. It's about um, how a person, the inner drive, how what's going to propel them to move. The motivation, exactly. And then often I shoot things like I'm in a documentary. So the character can move anywhere they want to move um, within reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I have certain frames that are absolutely um, integral to the scene and they've been discussed, um, you know, four months ahead of time with the designer and the cinematographer and the costume designer. So we all know that we're going to get that absolute frame. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, can I can just talk a bit about music. Are you, this probably applies to television as well as film. Mm. Are you often upset by the soundtrack? Disappointed? I mean, do you, can you write and try and... Um, I mean, it's such a big thing. If I, if I am, um, have any kind of creative control, then I wouldn't... I wouldn't stop until I'm going home and I'm listening to it on my computer and I'm playing it for my friends and I'm just so in love with it. I wouldn't stop. So I kind of have to be in love with, this, with the, the music. And then if it's another series that I'm working on, say the Kettering incident that I've just done, um, then I have no creative control and I just wait and see what happens. No, and I'm fine about that. I'm just the writer. Mm. Yeah, and that's a bit liberating as well. Mm. Yes. You a little bit, yeah. Um, action movie. No, no. Um, <laughs> no, I do. I really like. I do really like violence. And I do, I do really, I think I grew up in such a violent place with so much psychological violence around me. I'm constantly working that out. So, and I'm interested in what that means as a woman. I'm interested in looking at that as a woman. I don't know, we were talking just as people came in. I've, I used to say when people would ask me, what's the difference between you and a male director or whatever. And I was always really kind of quite adamant um, there was no difference. 
right? And I've, I've almost come full circle of that and I'm really embracing as I get older, which is such a beautiful feeling, what I actually am and it's okay, it's okay to have all these weird things that I want to explore and they're actually really female. And I think one of them is violence and my connection to it. Which isn't a genre, but it's yeah, definitely it's territory. Territory, yeah, mm. around me. Mm. Mm. Okay, one last question. Yes, yes. I um, sometimes I'll write, you know, like six pages or ten pages or something, and of just free thinking, yeah. and give it to them. No, because <laughs> <laughs> they would go. Oh to get my it out God. of your system, do you mean? Um, so that I know what the character is. Yeah, right. And then if the actor asks me questions, then I would say, oh, I think maybe this. But I always say, what do you think? What do you think? Because I think what they think and what they're going to come up with is so much more important than what I'm going to tell them. Are you writing those pages in the writing process or in the directing process? Mm. Do if, if, if I haven't written the piece, then I try and work out the character myself. I think it's a really good exercise if, you're, if you've got two... You're writing a screenplay or you, you get a screenplay and you, say so you've got a scene set in a Chinese restaurant and it's between two characters. It's always a good exercise just to write, the scene's not in the movie, right? Just to write the scene in the taxi beforehand. Because then you're gonna know when they enter that scene, how they come in and what's happened. And you don't even have to tell the actors, but you've got an idea of why it's tense or, you know. And you might say to them, oh, I think, you know, she's out of Tic Tacs or whatever, you know. But it's just that springboard of um, letting the emotions, letting, letting the emotions be true. And waking them up so there's a charge as the there's scene a charge. starts. There's a charge there. Yeah, right. There's a connectedness a connectedness between those two people rather than a void. And that's what we all want in our work is that connectedness. People are still going. Yes, one last question. Um, I was interested in your thought process around the audience always asking questions. Yeah. So I wonder what will happen to her. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Probably why my films don't make any money. Shh. <laughs> 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 um, okay. Kate, you're great. Thank you, Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>